Well, I'm sure all of us uh, at some stage have been inducted into a workplace or sat in on a meeting where we've had to go over a code of conduct, a set of rules that outlines the expectations and responsibilities of an individual in an organisation and reflects what is important to that group. Perhaps uh, you remember when a, a kind of code of conduct was enforced at school, some minor uniform infraction maybe, and the principal called an assembly so that you could all be reminded just how your socks should be worn, pulled up, not pushed down, or maybe pushed down, not pulled up, who knows. Or maybe you've experienced uh, a, maybe a little bit of a petty enforcement of rules at work, getting that passive-aggressive email that reminded everyone to wash up their own cup instead of leaving it in the communal kitchen sink. Uh, I've given some fairly trivial examples. But of course, many rules and instructions are incredibly important. They point out what's acceptable and unacceptable behaviour. They hold us accountable and protect us. Uh, but a rule book isn't generally something that gets, that gets us excited, does it? It doesn't really get our hearts racing. So when we turn to the Bible, the parts that come across as a set of rules or codes of conduct on how to live can seem a bit flat and boring, even stifling or restrictive. The section of Ephesians that we're looking at today in chapter 5 comes under the heading in my Bible at chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Instructions for Christian Living. And then the following section, which Mark will look at next week, has the heading, Instructions for Christians, Christian Households. Sounds a bit like a, a bit of a snooze fest, doesn't it? Important, yes. Exciting, life-giving, maybe not. But as I've been exploring this passage, I've been struck again and again by Paul's passion and joy as he calls us to walk God's way. How to walk in a way that brings about our own good and just as importantly, brings about the best for others. And Paul, the writer of, the letter, of this letter to the church in Ephesus, is so enthusiastic about it that several times he gets completely carried away. Instead of a sedate walk, Paul's words break into a dance, even leaping and clicking his heels in happiness and wonder at the goodness of God. Paul uh, uses this picture of walking three times in Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 21, although only one of them is translated as walk in the version of the Bible that, that Sandy just read from. So I've popped up on the slide where it actually says walk in the original language. Did I skip one? Oh, maybe I did. There we go. Uh, so at the beginning of chapter 5 in verse 1, which it does, says in our, it does say in our Bible's walk, so follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Uh, in verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then in verse 15, be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Walking is something that most people do every day. And it's a very relatable illustration of the way that we live our daily lives. Uh, I've worn orthotics in my shoes since I was 12 or 13 uh, because of the anatomy, the conformation of my feet. So when I don't wear my orthotics, 
uh, the soles of my feet kind of naturally collapse inwards and I end up with very sore feet. My ankles are then thrown out of alignment, which compresses the nerves on the outside of my ankles. And then my calves and hips end up hurting because I'm trying to correct my bad posture. But with the orthotics, I'm fine. The orthotics correct the way that I walk so I don't get any pain. The way that we walk, our habits, our thought patterns, our assumptions, our split-second decisions, all of these contribute to the way that we live our lives. Although there are momentous things that happen to us and we do make big decisions in life, far more often our lives are determined by the small, regular routines and decisions of daily life. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21, Paul points this out to the Ephesian church and to us that the way we walk each day matters. And it matters because of who we are. The way that we walk matters because of who we are. So if you're competing at the Olympics uh, in the race walking event, you might have seen it at the Commonwealth Games or at the Olympics, uh, the way that you walk is completely different to if you're walking your dog or walking with a cup of coffee. A race walker has that kind of, you know, interesting, funny-looking walk with a lot of hip action, trying to go as fast as possible while making sure that part of their foot is always touching the ground. Whereas if you're walking your dog, uh, then you're not going to care so much about your walking form, but you might be uh, leaning back slightly, bracing yourself against your dog uh, when they see a, a bird across the park or something. And then if you're walking with a coffee, uh, you'll try, you'll be walking differently again, definitely not doing that race walking walk that's going to spill the entire drink. You're going to try not to jostle too much so that your coffee stays in the cup. Who you are and what your purpose is determines the way that you walk. And it's the same for the Ephesians and for us. In verses 1 to 2, Paul calls us dearly loved children and tells us that Christ died in our place. In verse 8, our identity is that we are light in the Lord and children of light. Who we are is God's beloved children, children of light, saved from darkness and death and made new by God's love for us and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so the way that we walk matters. Now notice that the way that we walk doesn't get us saved or make God love us. No, we start as loved. We start in the light. We can have complete security and certainty in God's love for us. And since we have this identity, God calls us to walk in a way that fits with who we are. So we'll have a look at this passage uh, in three sections, which are broken up by, with Paul's instruction about how to walk. So firstly, in verses 1 to 7, God calls us to walk in the way of love. Uh, verses 1 to 2, follow, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right at the beginning of our passage, we get this first instance where Paul uh, breaks into a bit of a happy dance. 
Paul talks about God's example of love in Christ. And you can almost hear his voice catching with emotion as our minds are drawn back to God's breathtaking love described in Ephesians chapter 1, which we looked at weeks ago. In Ephesians chapter 1, that before time began, God made a plan to bless his chosen people with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those opening verses of Ephesians read almost like a poem or a song. We've been adopted as God's children, forgiven of our sins and washed clean from all guilt and impurity so that now we can be part of God's kingdom with Christ as the king. And because of Jesus' death in our place and his resurrection and ascension, we can follow him now as our king, secure in our identity. But after painting this picture of how we can walk in the way of love, uh, Paul's tone changes quite a bit in the next few verses. And he doesn't sugarcoat things as he warns against walking outside of God's way. From verse 3, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Uh, Perhaps these words sound a bit self-righteous or judgmental to you. But this is actually a call to a life of humility and thankfulness. Uh, The three sins that Paul focuses on are sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. So in total opposition to walking in the way of redeeming self-sacrificial love, pursuing sexual immorality, impurity, and greed leads to harm and destruction both to ourselves and to others. Our culture generally agrees that all sexual expression is good and that restraining sexual desire is at the very least ridiculous and at worst can lead to repressed feelings and even disease. It's assumed that a complete life must involve sexual satisfaction. After all, how can you know true love and intimacy without it? But Paul, A single man points us instead to Jesus as our model for how to live. Jesus, a man who never had a sexual relationship and lived the perfectly fulfilled life. Now, not that Paul is then saying you shouldn't have sex. Rather, Paul warns against sexual immorality and impurity. That's any action or thought where we show contempt for another person as an object of desire any action or thought that asserts power over someone to satisfy our own sexual appetites. That includes sexual abuse and violence, pornography, sex outside of marriage, sleeping with prostitutes, unclean thoughts. All of these sins destroy our own humanity and the humanity of others. And then there's the third sin, greed, 
uh, which could have sexual connotations as well, but probably is also broader to include an obsession with obtaining money, possessions, experiences, reputation. Anything where our desire for something or someone outweighs the flourishing of others. And Paul goes on to say that those who follow Jesus shouldn't even talk in an unworthy manner. God knows that our words have power. And so among God's people, there shouldn't be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. So when we, do, when we use our words to do violence to others, to make someone the butt of a joke, or to minimise acts of selfishness and sin, we misrepresent who God is and we harm one another. Instead of walking in the way of love, when we pursue our sinful desires and speak foolishly or hurtfully, we're walking the wrong way. And not only are these words and actions not worthy of our calling, they're actually the mark of those who are not God's children. And verse 5, no immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, Paul isn't saying that when we inevitably mess up, we're at risk of losing our identity as God's child. No, Paul is saying that those whose lives are characterised by immorality, impurity and greed, those who habitually walk in this way, those people cannot share in the glorious reality of God's kingdom. Instead of being the children of God, these people are literally, in verse 6, sons of disobedience. And instead of inheriting the riches of God's grace as his children, these sons of disobedience will inherit God's wrath. It can be hard for us to come to terms with the idea of God's wrath. Uh, but God's wrath is actually an essential part of his perfect love. Sin brings harm and destroys the innocent, violating and degrading the beauty and goodness of people in the world. And so it's only right that in order for God to be perfectly loving, he must stand against all that is unlovely and unloving. Our Lord has promised to make all things new in his coming kingdom, which means that violence and sin will be destroyed. In the new creation, there won't be any place for those who consistently reject or resist God's mercy. And so considering this is the destiny of people who habitually walk away from God, Paul tells us not to be partners with them. And not that we should separate ourselves from other people who don't follow Jesus. As Paul says in another letter to the Corinthians, if we did that, we'd have to leave the world entirely. Instead, we shouldn't join them or participate with, with them in pursuing disobedience. Uh, but don't despair. That's not all that Paul says about those who walk away from God. Uh, so this brings us on to the, the second point. So after calling us to walk in the way of love, we're also invited to walk as light. And verses 8 to 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live or walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So although Paul is very honest about in how he speaks about those who walk away from God, there's also hope. Even the Ephesians themselves once lived in darkness. In fact, they were darkness. We were once darkness, sons of disobedience, destined to experience God's wrath. But now in Jesus, we are light. And so we're called to walk as children of light and to find out what pleases the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful goal to have for our lives? Uh, We might sometimes think about obeying God as finding out how close we can get to the line. How far is too far before we're technically breaking God's laws? If I'm only 10% over the speed limit, do I avoid a fine? If I only watch graphic sex scenes in movies but not pornography, is that okay? If I give away some of my money, does God overlook my other decisions motivated by greed and acquisition? But here our perspective gets completely turned upside down. Our goal should be to find out what pleases the Lord. Make it your life's goal to find out what pleases Jesus, what delights him. And pleasing God isn't a mystery that we have to solve. Uh, Finding out what pleases God is just another way of saying we need to walk daily in God's way. Every choice we make or habit we form either moves us further away from God or moulds us closer to the image of Jesus. And so Paul urges us, find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Spend time reading the Bible. Talk to God. Be in community with other followers of Jesus. Do life with those who don't follow Jesus. Pursue goodness, righteousness and truth as you walk as children of light. This is a fruitful life. And ultimately, it's a life that brings light to others. It can be lovely and atmospheric to have a meal by candlelight. It's lovely and atmospheric in here without having all the lights on. But if you're inspecting a house to live in, you want to have good lighting so that you can see any signs of mold or water damage. A boat at sea can be an amazing place to see a sky full of stars, unpolluted by city lights. But when you're on a boat at night near the coast, before the time of radars, a lighthouse was essential so you didn't become shipwrecked. Light reveals and illuminates. Jesus' light, his goodness and truth, exposes the shadows of violence, lies and fear. And as we walk as children of light, we will do the same thing, exposing evil and bringing light to those trapped in darkness so that they're also drawn to the light of Jesus. And that's what walking in the light is ultimately about. It's not about being arrogant and self-righteous, separating ourselves off from the world to guard against impurity. Walking in the light is about drawing others to Jesus, the source of light. In verse 14, Paul says, Wake up, sleeper. 
rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Overwhelmed by the power and beauty of Christ in bringing us from death to life, this is another moment where Paul starts to skip and dance, suddenly breaking out in song as he quotes the words of an ancient hymn, perhaps a little like this hymn by Charles Wesley. church heard Paul's letter for the first time, they might have also broken out in thankful, joyous song, maybe a bit more spontaneously than that. But they might have also broken out in song to the one who had shone his light into their hearts and released them from the chains of darkness. Instead of exploiting others, we're called to walk in the way of love. And instead of being lost in the darkness, we're called to walk as children of light, shining the way so that others are also drawn into the light. And finally, in verses 15 to 21, instead of being foolish, God calls us to walk with wisdom. Be very careful then how you walk, he says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Ephesian church lived in a culture that was walking away from God, pursuing sexual immorality, impurity and greed, instead of finding out what pleases Jesus. They lived amongst people lost in the darkness, unknowingly headed for self-destruction. The days were evil not that different to many other days in history, including our If you drive around Sydney at the moment, you've probably noticed the roads are quite treacherous after all the rain that we've been having. Uh, perhaps you've had the experience of driving along a you know, major road at 60 kilometers or so per hour, and suddenly from beneath the car in front of you, a massive pothole emerges. And you have to decide in that moment if you're gonna hit the brakes, swerve or grit your teeth and drive through it. I'm pretty sure my car's going to need a, a pretty good wheel alignment at its next service. I probably don't drive carefully enough, considering the current road conditions. But that's the kind of advice Paul is giving. Considering the current condition of the world, a world of potholes, shadows and trip hazards, Paul urges us to be careful as we walk, to watch our footing and to walk wisely. Those who are wise understand that the current age is evil, that the path is dark and treacherous, 
and therefore they make the most of every opportunity to develop habits and make decisions that help them walk in God's way. They take every chance to love others like Christ loved them. They take every chance to point others to Jesus, the source of all goodness and light. But how, how do we keep walking wisely? How can we ever hope to keep walking with God when the world around us is, is so treacherous? The next few verses tell us that we walk empowered by the Spirit in community with God's people. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. By telling the Ephesian Christians not to get drunk on wine, Paul was referring to the cultural practice of attending banquets. Uh, at these banquets, the food and wine would flow, which could lead to loss of sexual, uh, self-control and sexual immorality. But Paul also condemns the excessive consumption itself. When many in the church, or in the community, sorry, were poor and in need, and also in the church, getting drunk and stuffing yourself at a feast was the very opposite of walking in love and wisdom. And so instead of filling ourselves with alcoholic spirits, walking in wisdom means being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then like he's living in some sort of musical again, Paul breaks out in song again. If you saw someone walking down the road and they suddenly started skipping or dancing, you might think they were drunk. But here, Paul's infectious joy is because he's drunk on the spirit. And he invites us to also drink from Jesus' overflowing cup, to rejoice as we sing together, to give thanks to God at all times, and to think of others' interests first in the community of believers. We're empowered to live wisely by Christ's spirit in us, and we're encouraged to live wisely as we worship God together with our church family. The code of conduct in Ephesians chapter five isn't a set of rules that restricts and limits our enjoyment of life. Instead, in this passage, God reveals an expansive landscape of what it looks like to walk in the way of love, of light, and of wisdom a way that we can only walk at all because God has adopted us as his children. Christ has saved us by his death and the Holy Spirit empowers us to keep walking. So like Paul, let's now break out again in song. I'm sure your appetite has been whetted as we'll sing uh, the hymn, And Can It Be? So let's stand and speak to one another with this song, making music from our hearts to the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to the Father for everything.